1: VIPs everywhere rush to delete their emails before Fancy Bear gets her paws on them. Opinion leaders rumble about the cyber war having picked up where the Cold War left off. Election security concerns may prompt U.S. Senate hearings. British companies take a look at operations in the Baltimore, Washington area. Industry notes include VC rounds, M&A activity, a new automotive cybersecurity venture, and the announcement of 2016 Cynet 16. And the U.S. House doesn't think too much of a Snowden pardon. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary, and week in review for Friday, September 16, 2016. Nearly every prominent person with a Gmail account has been well and properly spooked by the hacking of former U.S. Secretary of State Powell's emails. The New York Times reports that a news anchor, a senator, a former national security official, and others are busily deleting emails, changing passwords, and so on. The emerging consensus of observers is that the POW doxing is the work of Fancy Bear, the nom de hack U.S. security vendors have given Russia's GRU. Such breaches are seen by observers as involving failures of digital hygiene, or less charitably what e-security planet calls InfoSec hubris. A senior NSA official pointed out earlier this week that the high-profile breaches various enterprises have sustained over the past two years involved basic oversights and not exotic zero days. A Washington Post op-ed tells us that the cyber war has replaced the Cold War and that the two conflicts have a certain similarity. One difference is that information operations have probably grown markedly more effective. We heard a good bit about this at Invincia's Beat the Breach session in Washington yesterday. Richard Clark, former White House cyber advisor, said, The Russians are clearly very active in this election and they don't seem to care that we know it. They're increasingly bold and this is a disturbing change. He noted the new possibilities of deception. If the first set of emails leaked are genuine, as it appears the Powell emails are, that predisposes people to regard the other leaks as also authentic. But why should they be? Releasing the real documents is just the first move in an information ops confidence game. In any case, there are calls in the U.S. Senate for a full investigation of alleged Russian attempts to affect the November elections. The U.S. electoral system is sufficiently diverse and distributed that its global subversion is very far-fetched, but many observers fear effective local hacking. On Tuesday, we attended the Billington Cybersecurity Summit, which also met in Washington. There was a striking emphasis on the part of many speakers that cybersecurity would most benefit from attention to basic digital hygiene and sound management practices. Those who spoke this way prominently included Kieran Martin, CEO of the UK's new National Cybersecurity Center, and Tony Scott, the U.S. federal CIO. Scott in particular called out the need to modernize, upgrade, and replace legacy IT systems as both a matter of economy and security. Such upgrades would, Scott hoped, free information technology from old technology, organizational and budgetary paradigms that have impeded progress toward better security. This week has seen a fair bit of industry news. Not only are companies from the UK clearly looking into establishing a presence in the Baltimore, Washington area, but several startups have attracted fresh rounds of venture funding. LogRhythm has picked up $50 million, Risk Rating Shop BitSite, $40 million, Industrial Control System Security Vendor Clarity, $32 million, Cato Networks, $30 million, and DDoS Mitigation Outfit Zenedge $6.2 million. There's also been some M&A activity. Verizon has bought IoT security company Sensity, and Ant Financial has picked up biometric shop eVerify. verify Pro Solutions has finalized its acquisition of Los Gatos-based CyberInc. And there's an interesting new automotive cybersecurity company forming. Volkswagen is teaming up with three Israeli experts to form CyMotive, which will address the security of connected cars. Rod Schultz, VP of product at Rubicon Labs, told the CyberWire he applauded the decision to form SciMotive. He thinks they should focus on creating a secure identity for the hundreds of electronic control units now built into cars everywhere. Search and analytics company Elastic has bought Prelert, an innovator in behavioral analysis. The play is thought to represent Elastic's bid to disrupt big data house Splunk. The acquisition is interesting also because Prealert was announced today as one of 2016's Cynet 16, the Security and Innovation Network's annual honor roll of cyber innovators. The other winners are, in alphabetical order, Blackridge Technology, Contrast Security, CyberX, DataVisor, Digital Shadows, Interset, Menlo Security, Intrepid, Phantom CyberCorp, PostQuantum, ProtectWise, RiskSense, SafeBreach. Threat Quotient, and Vera. Congratulations to them all. You'll find links to accounts of the cynet 16 and why they won in today's issue of the Cyberwire daily news briefing. And finally, Oliver Stone's film Snowden. It was shot in color, but according to Wired's review, it offers a black and white story quite devoid of so much as a shade of gray. Oliver Stone Snowden has convinced some that its eponymous subject deserves a presidential pardon. Some, but far from all. Among the unconvinced are the Republicans and Democrats of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, who've just sent the president a letter expressing strong exception to the petition for pardon. So what's the betting? Which is likelier, a pardon for Ed Snowden or the replacement of the Star-Spangled Banner by City Escape from Sonic the Hedgehog? Remember, Sonic fans, make America fast again. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Officer at Level 3 Communications. Dale, it uh, w- seems like every day we're seeing uh, more news about uh, healthcare record leaks. Um, what are some things that enterprises can be doing to protect these particularly valuable assets?
0: You know, healthcare records are actually 10 times more valuable than credit card data on the black market. There is a, a definite, tangible market for uh, gaining unauthorized access to medical records and selling them on the black market. We really recommend a few things. you know we recommend some some fairly traditional security mechanisms in the healthcare industry. More and more health healthcare devices are being connected to the healthcare ecosystem, uh, more and more diagnostic systems. Uh, all those systems run um, you know versions of relatively vanilla operating systems, and they come with exposures. So, making sure that that those systems are properly patched and up to date and monitored for security uh, access and security controls. Not many people, you know, and practitioners really um, put a lot of thought into making sure that you know healthcare monitoring systems are being properly patched and properly monitored. They're using them as appliances. The other one is that we're recommending, uh, especially in cases like this, is to ensure that that the healthcare monitoring appliances are really separated from the healthcare user population. Um, you know, people are being able to get access to these devices, You know, the vector is is, is these healthcare devices, and then from there, they're then able to gain access to, to things like desktops where then the healthcare records are stored. So we really recommend segmenting or separating the, those sort of networks uh, so that they can't talk to each other uh, or they talk to each other through a security policy enforcement infrastructure uh, that can properly check the security of those systems.
1: And what about from the other direction? I mean, what about as a consumer? What can I do to make sure that my healthcare records uh, are as uh, protected as they can be?
0: You know, as a consumer, what I would say is. You know, is you can con- you can reach out to your healthcare provider and ask them what security controls that they have in place. Ask them what if if there's any third-party auditing that that's being done on the healthcare provider to validate the controls, and if there's any serious or significant uh, findings that as a result of that last audit, um, you'll be surprised uh, how how forthcoming those healthcare providers will be on how transparent they are, and it really helps provide some education to the end user. Uh, about how that information is properly protected.
1: All right, Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. My guest today is Shelley Westman. After a few years as a lawyer, she spent most of her career at IBM, where she's vice president of operations and strategic initiatives in IBM's security business. She's a popular keynote speaker and a champion for attracting and retaining more women and minorities into cybersecurity. So as you were coming up through IBM, were there any particular challenges that you faced by virtue of being a woman?
2: Well, what's interesting is for most of my career at IBM, I gave no thought to the fact that I was a woman. I would say for 15 of the 17 years, I came in every day. Of course, I noticed that there was not as many women in a lot of the meetings but I didn't belong to any women's group. I didn't pay any particular emphasis on it. I came in, did a good job and expected to be rewarded and was rewarded. It wasn't until I got into IBM security and started hearing about the dismal numbers overall in the industry where there's only 10% of women in the security space that I really figured as a female leader, I need to step up and start being a vocal advocate to improve these numbers
1: so let's talk about those numbers. Why do you think uh, we do so poorly in cybersecurity when it comes to hiring women?
2: Well, first of all, there's not as many women available to hire. That's really the, the heart of the problem. Women are not choosing overall STEM careers, number one, and cybersecurity, number two, and that's for a variety of reasons. A lot of them don't know about it. So the ones that I'm speaking with that have gotten into the field have gotten into it almost by accident, where they saw something or they participated in a hacking contest and really fell in love with it. We're not doing a good job of educating these young women that this is a viable career opportunity.
1: You touched on the importance of of having mentors and people supporting you along the way. How important was mentorship to you as you made your way up through your career?
2: Mentorship is very, very important as a sponsorship. And there's really a difference that I don't know that everyone understands. You know, a mentor, you can pick your own mentor. You can say, will you mentor me? Will you help me? A sponsor has to pick you. They have to be willing to put their career on the line and say, I know, Shelly, she's going to do a good job in this next role. And both mentors and sponsors are critically important. And for me... Interestingly enough, I've only had one female mentor my whole career because I've always wanted to get that difference of thought. I know how I think being a woman. I want to make sure that, you know, I've got another point of view guiding me and saying, have you thought about it from this perspective? So I've typically gravitated toward male mentors because they can give me that different point of view.
1: What about for, for men who want to be more supportive of getting women uh, into the field, but then also want to support women once they're in the field? What advice do you have for you know, men who want to contribute and try to, to, to equalize the situation more?
2: You know, and that's a really important question because we absolutely need men as allies. So if you think about it, the field of security has 90% men and 10% women. This is across the board. And we can't change that without men stepping up and saying, I've got to be one that's going to help this situation. And I think it's hard for men to understand some of the unique problems that a woman might face in a very male-dominated field until they start thinking about it on a personal level and start thinking about their wife or their daughter and what they want it to be like for future generations. And I think none of this is really done, um, you know, nothing that happens is done with malicious intent. We just tend to gravitate towards people like us. So for a male to really stop and say, how am I going to help change this? How am I going to get people that look different than me so I can get this diverse perspective is really powerful. And the other thing I tell my teams is that, you know, we don't want diversity just because it's a nice to have. We want diversity because it's been proven time and time again that diversity leads to better business results. And that when you have people that think different from you, you come up with different solutions. And that is really important. If you surround yourself with people that think like you only, you're all going to come up with the same answer. And that's why it's important, and that's what we've got to get men to realize, that this benefits all of us. If we do better, we get better bonus, more money, more room for advancement for all of us. It's not just a nice-to-have, it's a business imperative.
1: And and just for career advice in general, for the young woman who may be uh, heading into college or heading out of college and is considering a career in a technical field or cybersecurity, what would your advice be for her?
2: my advice for anybody considering a career is find something that you love doing. And I speak from practical experience because when I was practicing law, I hated it. And it was very sad. I thought that's what I wanted to do my entire life. And I didn't feel the energy from it. It didn't make me happy. And so you have to go and find something you like doing. And don't give up on that. If you try something and don't like it, find something else. You spend too much of your time at work to be doing a job you don't like. In terms of the STEM careers and fields in cybersecurity, my advice is try it. You might like it. And you know, I've heard from young women who have gotten involved in some of these external clubs and they've participated in a capture the flag contest and they're absolutely amazed at how much they enjoyed it. So until you try something, you don't know whether or not you like it. So go for it, try it, give it a chance, and if you don't like it, find something else.
1: IBM is, uh, is teaming up with the International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals, the ICMCP, uh, for an event in October. What can you tell us about that?
2: I'm so excited about this event. We're having this October 4th at 590 Madison Avenue, which is one of our IBM buildings. And we're having a town hall style event where we're focused on how do we get more women and underrepresented minorities into cybersecurity. And we've brought together three panels consisting of some of the top leaders in business and security and academia to really talk about what they're doing, what works and doesn't work, and share ideas.
1: That's Shelley Westman from IBM. You can see a video of her keynote presentation at this year's Women in Cybersecurity Conference on our website, thecyberwire.com. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations.